0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, November 13th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Palantir beat Wall Street expectations in its first earnings since going public. The US Senate is ready to vote on Donald Trump's nominee to the Federal Reserve Board, and Poland could stand in the way of the EU's next budget. Plus, Denmark made headlines last week after it ordered the mass execution of its mink population. But was it the right move? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Palantir had a lot to show off to investors in its first quarterly earnings report since going public. The data analytics company is probably best known for its work for the U.S. defense and national security establishment, and it floated at the end of September. Palantir beat Wall Street expectations with revenue growth accelerating to nearly 50% in the first nine months of the year. It's double the rate of 2019, all thanks to new contracts with the U.S. Army that came on the back of a successful court battle to get more access to military spending. And, the company said yesterday that it's not relying as much on a few large customers, which is one of Wall Street's big concerns about Palantir. The amount it made off its 20 biggest customers dropped by 8% compared to the same period last year. Palantir shares rose about 1% in after-hours trading on Thursday, and they've risen more than 40% since last week's U.S. election. the U.S. Senate is gearing up to confirm a new member to the Federal Reserve Board, Donald Trump's nominee, Judy Shelton. Shelton is a bit of an unconventional choice. She was an advisor to Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, and she has compared the Fed's role in setting monetary policy to the Soviet Union's economic planning. I'm joined by the FT's James Politi, who's been keeping tabs on the Fed board nominee. Uh, James, tell us a little bit about Shelton. Judy Shelton
1: is a, an unconventional choice for the Fed because she's seen as a, a very partisan sort of loyalist um, and she's seen as someone who might sort of shape her own views of what should be done with regard to monetary policy um, based on sort of what the president's political imperatives were. She also is a longtime advocate for the gold standard which essentially pegs the value of the US currency to the price of gold and was essentially in place until it was dropped by the the Nixon administration it sort of operates in the context of you know fixed exchange rates when the US for you know the past decades has really embraced the opposite which are you know, flexible exchange rates, which, you know, are widely considered a much better way to have currencies adjust. So, James, Shelton is one of two nominees.
0: The other is Chris Waller, another Trump nominee, which means President-elect Joe Biden probably won't have a chance to nominate someone for a while. Um, what does Shelton's presence mean for the Federal Reserve?
1: Um, well, certainly this is a way for Donald Trump to put his sort of imprint on the Fed before he leaves office in January. In terms of how a Judy Shelton would operate within the Fed board, as one governor, she won't have disproportionate influence, and she's unlikely to have the power really to block um, you know, any big actions on monetary policy or regulatory policy, but she could cause some disruption. She could dissent frequently from decisions and sort of create, you know, an atmosphere where there might not be a unanimous approach to things like monetary policy or regulatory policy um, or what to do with the credit facilities that a Fed has put in place during the crisis. So she's unlikely to have any real practical impact in terms of blocking Fed action, but she could be in some ways a thorn in Jay Powell's side. And Poland is threatening to hold up the EU's
0: next seven-year budget. Brussels is planning to link European funding to the rule of law, something that was proposed way back in 2018 to enforce its values on uncooperative member states. But Poland has a problem with that, particularly the country's Law and Justice Party. A letter from Poland Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki, seen by the FT, spells out this warning. The prime minister said Poland would not accept any discretionary mechanisms that are based on what he calls arbitrary politically motivated criteria. The warning from Poland follows a similar threat from Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. But blocking the budget could come back to bite Poland and Hungary. Both countries could gain a lot from the EU's coronavirus recovery proposals, 390 billion euros worth of grants to member states hit hard by the pandemic. Last week, Denmark ordered the destruction of its entire population of mink, the furry little animals. It came after the reported discovery of a mutant form of coronavirus in the animal that could spread to humans. The move was presented as a bold measure to halt what could have been the starting point for the next stage of the pandemic. But a lot has happened since last week. I'm joined by the FT's Richard Milne, our Nordic and Baltic correspondent. Hey, Richard.
2: Yeah, hi. Nice to talk to you today.
0: Yeah, kind of an interesting story. Never thought I'd be talking about this on the podcast, to be honest with you.
2: I never thought I'd be writing
0: about it either, to be honest. Right. So, Richard, before we get into the calling itself, what makes mink such an important part of Denmark's economy?
2: I mean, some people have described to me as mink being a bit the dirty secret of Denmark. Denmark is the world's largest producer of mink, 17 million pelts a year, and they go to fur coats, which then are sold predominantly to Chinese and Russians. Denmark's proud of its industry. but. One of the problems comes is that mink and the family that they come from, mustelids, which includes ferrets and badgers and otters, seem to be particularly susceptible uh, to coronavirus. And so the 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 problem is these diseases that pass between animals to humans to animals. And the worry in Denmark was, you know, that this could be the next stage of the pandemic in that this had gone from a human into mink, had mutated in the mink and then came back out again.
0: Right. And so, so because of that relationship that you're describing, the Danish government really wanted to clamp down on the mink but they didn't actually have the legal authority to order a call, how did this emerge?
2: On Wednesday of uh, last week, uh, the Danish prime minister came out with several other Danish ministers and said, all mink must be killed. And then suddenly on Monday, transpired that over the weekend the government had realised that they didn't have the legal authority to do this. And how that came about is that they have the legal authority that any mink that's infected with coronavirus can be killed and any mink that's within eight kilometres of an infected mink. But if you're outside the eight kilometres and your mink are completely healthy, they didn't have the legal basis at all. And of course, By that stage that they uh, discovered that, a lot of farmers had been uh, gassing their mink and killing them. And uh, as we now speak, just over a week later, most of the mink are are dead. Which, you know, if that wasn't bad enough, uh, what are scientists saying? Uh, at the Danish press conference, um, the head of the health authority was incredibly dramatic. You know, this could be the next stage of the pandemic. I mean, it was almost talking like this. You know, Denmark could be the next Wuhan. Um, you know, it could be talking about COVID twenty. I mean, it was almost that scale of rhetoric. But uh, when we called international scientists, um, scientists in the Netherlands where they'd had an outbreak uh, with mink earlier in the year, they said, you know, it's a normal thing when. A the virus passes between species, that it mutates. And it wasn't at all clear that this mutation was as bad as Denmark was saying. And, and, and since then, it's got only worse. Uh, the Danish health authorities have said that what they thought was the most dangerous mutation has probably died out. And other scientists who now examined the mutation in detail think that it probably wouldn't have affected vaccines after all. So Richard,
0: is this call just a huge overreaction on the part of the government and and its scientists?
2: I I think we have to find out. Um, At the moment, it looks a possibility that it was an overreaction. At the same time, it could be argued, um, and I think the FT had a column this week saying, you know, maybe this is the new way of behaving, that we overreact. You know, I think in Denmark, a lot of people are expecting somebody to have to resign uh, for this. But I think this goes up to the the prime minister. You know, Denmark's taken quite a hard line throughout this coronavirus crisis. They're one of the first countries to close their borders in March. She's taken quite a lot of personal uh, control over this. And so um, there are questions of, you know, if you take, you know, the good side of being in control, then you've got to take the bad side. So um, I think this is a, a story to keep on watching.
0: Richard Milne is our Nordic and Baltic correspondent. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music.
1: Visit bankofamerica.com slash
0: bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS.